Hello there and welcome back to the Valencia Properties Podcast. This is our first one of 2024. We hope you listened to the last one with the first of our Valencia stories and today we're going to have another one. We continue our investigation of what can go wrong when buying your property in Spain and what you need to look out for. We started this series in the last podcast and today we conclude with more discussion about the problems that can happen and what you need to look out for in order to avoid them. We also take a look back over the last year in the world of Valencia property and the market in general and a small look forward towards 2024. We have another Valencia story, this time a really fun theme, yeah, really fun, all about the 2008 financial crisis and the ramifications for Valencia over the next few years following that seismic shock. What happened to the Valencia property market in the lead up and then in the aftermath? This time we're going to talk about the lead up to the financial crisis in 2008, how did we get to that state? Let's start this month though with more on our discussion about what could possibly go wrong when you are buying a property in Valencia. Remember, with our help and guidance, any of the following are a lot less likely to happen. start this month with more of a discussion of what could possibly go wrong when you're buying a property in Valencia. Remember, with our help and guidance, any of the following are a lot less likely to happen, although let's just say they're not unknown. Uh, so, Dave, first thing we're going to talk about is offers, right? So, the first problem, I think, is uh, if somebody offers too low a price to start. Um, right. Well, you've mentioned this before, that Spanish pride and all that you could offend an owner and then they're not going to sell at any price because it's a affront to their masculinity or whatever you want to call it. You liked it enough to make the offer, so now I'm not going to budge at all. And we have lots of clients saying how negotiable a price is and we always say that the same answer is if it's an apartment in the city, very little because the demand's there. I had some clients this morning and I'm saying there's about, certainly this week it's still just after Christmas, it's a difficult week to get in to see stuff. But as soon as we get back on the carousel, there will be 20 people lining up to see any new apartment that comes on the market. So if, one, if it's good, if it's good, or if it's yeah anywhere near and anywhere that anyone wants to be at any budget as well, there's lots of people with with plenty of money in Valencia right now looking at all kinds of prices. Um, so if one of those 20 people doesn't go for it, you might get a sniff, mm-hmm. but we always say you need to be decisive and decide on where. And, and make a move when you see something that's yeah because you might get a discount you might get a discount but if you see a place at 200 and you offer 150 they're going to tell you to go to hell yeah of course you know i always put the 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 onus on the buyer as well i say would you accept that kind of offer and yeah. the answer is usually no actually no i wouldn't because mm-hmm. the market's really lively where i come from and i go yeah well, it's the same here it's the mm-hmm. same worldwide isn't it since the pandemic i think but some people say well i'm a cash buyer and in general, an owner will just shrug in that Alan Partridge way and go, yeah, and? Yeah, I mean, you might get a kind of symbolic five or 10,000 off depending on the purchase price. And if you're a cash buyer, obviously it means you can move really quickly, which is probably more interesting to any potential vendor than the case of you're a cash buyer or goody, good for you. Yeah. If you can complete two or three weeks, if you can move the money that quickly, or be flexible with the owner and say, I'll give you as much time as you need to pack up your things and to leave. Mm-hmm. They're more willing to accept that. Not, it's not always price-based, though. It can sometimes be on, I've got kids, I need a few months to find somewhere else, or my in-laws live with me and they need to be rehoused and that kind of thing. It's, it's more of an emotional 
uh, context rather than a, a monetary one. Yeah, I think I've said this before that like to a to a seller, everyone's a cash buyer because the cash comes from either the buyer or the buyer and the bank. Mm-hmm. So to them, it makes no difference. It's mm-hmm. more a time period thing rather than a yeah, I've got cash thing. Yeah, it's not a big thing nowadays. I don't think. Or in the old days, it's and. and <laughs> Cash to a Spanish person as well sounds like you're going to give them some money under the table. Which, which is, is which is the next thing. Uh, when you find out that the owner wants some money in cash, I not declared. Well, should you do that? Well, I just had a phone call this morning on the way back from my vi- from my viewings. The client that I'm dealing with this week, there was a really interesting apartment that, with a terrace. I thought that's going to be a good one to show next week when we get back into the swing of things. Spoke to the agent. Okay, Dave, no problem. We, we always collaborate. No problem to see this one. I've already been to see it. I think it's actually quite good. And he said, the problem is, though, and this is why he phoned me up, the owner wants 60K. And he didn't say in cash. He actually said, I don't know what he, he said, like in bonbonis or something. They never want to use the B word as in B for, <laughs> yeah, B for Barcelona or B for this or B for that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, but 60K is a bit it's too much. beyond the pale when the property is 250,000 euros. And mm-hmm. I said, sometimes 10 for furniture, for electrical goods, that's about the limit. And he was like, and that's no, fair. no, no. And that's fair. So I said, well, we're not going to go and see it then, are we? And he says, yeah, he's, uh, he's lost various potential buyers because of that, that issue. And yeah, well, it's, it's struck it off the list and we know we're not going to have to see it now. But that's uh, cash is no longer the done thing. And any lawyer worth the salt or any agent will say, no, you shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, I mean, I've got no problem with saying to someone when a place is furnished, but if you want to give him 10000 for the furniture, but we still should declare it. It's just that it's only charged at 6% tax, not mm. 10 You know, Now, if it's really good furniture, maybe up to 20 but at the same time, you're still going to declare it. Uh, you might get away with 5 or 10 non-declared if the owner will not accept any other thing and you really like the property. Yeah, I think if it sweetens the deal, it's not really a big thing. Any more than that, you walk into the bank and say, by the way, I now need to withdraw 30 or 40 or whatever it is in cash, and they're going to kind of raise their eyebrows and say, ah, okay, and mm-hmm. what the hell's going on here? Which everybody knows what's going on. Yeah, so that's one clause, but um, what about if an owner wants certain other ridiculous clauses? For example, Remain in the property after purchase or after sale in their case. Rent for a year post-purchase. Long time period for completion, anything like that. Well, you know, it's the same as if you can be flexible and you don't mind them being there for a, a week or two weeks or whatever you can come into an agreement to. If it's going to sweeten the deal and you're going to be flexible and good-natured, then that's great. But I think generally... It's not a good idea to say, yeah, and you can stay there unless there's massive penalty clauses in a contract for three, four, five months. Mm-hmm. And it's because you, you just don't know. You can't, and, and from our point of view as well, we prefer it to be nice and clean. And on the day of purchase, you get your keys and that person gets their money and you part ways and hopefully don't have to have too much communication with them afterwards either. And at that point, of course, you also want to change over the electric, water, etc. into the new owner's name, mm-hmm. uh, not five months, six months later. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a lot easier to do it at the time when all the paperwork is there. I can't, I mean, it's very rare. It, it doesn't usually happen. I think most people, if you give them enough time to get out, they will be able to arrange their 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 life and, and, mm-hmm. and do the correct thing. So the next thing is about contracts. What can go wrong with a contract? And I put as the first thing maybe, the owner's lawyer or agency putting together the contract without any sort of consultation. And I saw one of these last week. 
Yeah, it's usually a copy and paste standard deposit contract, the address contract. Sometimes other clauses need to be added or if we draft the contract or any of the lawyers that we work with draft the contract and it gets sent back and they've used the original version which hasn't been rectified or they've decided to insert something or take something out. So you really have to, and this is obviously why you need an agent and a lawyer to protect your interests, and you do need to check everything twice given the time of year. Yeah, I saw a reserve contract last week, which was absolutely ridiculous. So it was sent back and they said, oh yeah, yeah, we'll just use a standard one, don't worry, we'll change it. And they did. To, yeah, to be yeah. fair, they did. So um, all the agents that we work with, they, they know how we work. We know that they're all foreign buyers, that they that sometimes things aren't going to happen overnight. One of the, I mean, one of the ones that we get with agents that we're they're new to the game maybe or don't know us as well as, as some of the others that we work with, they say, yeah, and we'll do the deposit tomorrow and they can sign it tomorrow and then transfer the money the day after tomorrow or tomorrow and you kind of go well no we need a few days to do the due diligence you know that's mm -hmm. why the lawyer gets involved not just this typical standard copy and paste because every every single property has different issues mm -hmm. i've also seen in contracts sometimes the uh, there's a clause in there which just favors one party or the other now obviously if we're going to do that we want the clause that favors our party our buyer yeah yeah, I mean, they always add in or take out that it's by as, as seen. And sometimes it's not in your interest to, to, to keep that in. You know, that's, if you get the, the required documentation, the community certificate on the building, if the building's older than 50 years old, it obviously has to have a technical inspection as well. People ask about, should we do a survey on an apartment? And generally, no, unless you walk in, it looks like the roof's going to come down on top of your head. Mm -hmm. And there's, I don't know, I mean, you need to probably find an agent you can trust and somebody that is going to defend your interests and, and fight your corner. Mm -hmm. So the next one uh, is no agreement on the amount to be paid as the reserve or deposit. So what are the expectations of sellers on that? What do you mean, like the, the two or the 3K reserve and that kind of thing? Well, whether you do a reserve, whether you go straight to deposit and how much that deposit is. Well, it depends, isn't it? Every single time it's, it seems to be they've moved the goalpost or they've done something different. And sometimes it's, depending on the price of property, sometimes it can be two or 3K or 5,000 euro reserve. Some agents say we're fine with 1,000. Some agents know it has to be 3,000 because it's over a certain price. And you just go, well, that's fine. Obviously, the less you pay in reserve the better. I think two or three is okay, but sometimes if it's 500,000 euro property, they expect 5,000, which is a returnable reserve if the offer's rejected. So there's nothing, there's no risk involved there. But sometimes you might not have 5k mm -hmm. directly available on the same day. So I kind of go, well, they've only got 2k in the bank, so you're going to have to go with that. Yeah. And the other thing is that when we talk about the whole deposit, for example, Typically, it's 10%, but it's not the law that it's 10%. It no, can be less, no. It can be more. It's just easy math, and you know, it's, it's easier for everybody to say, right, it's 280,000, so 28K deposit, and then you can ask for 30, 60, 90 days or whatever you need to, to complete the purchase. Mm -hmm. and sometimes it can be, and then obviously you get retentions come into play, and you know, the final check is never a round number because the bank, if it's paying off a mortgage, has to retain some. and Registry costs sometimes are retained or there's a, a debt on the community that needs to be retained as well. So there's always these moving parts. There's lots of variables in these kind of operations. Mm -hmm. I've also put uh, for the last one on contracts, open ending the contract. And I say that because that's what I've done at the moment. I'm actually buying a place and we've had to open end the contract because originally it was three months. 
but it was with a stipulation that it would be extended if the paperwork wasn't in place. And guess what? The paperwork isn't in place still. We're now five months after the fact because it's an inheritance. So sometimes you have to do it, but if you've got an open-ended contract and it's because the owner's got to find a place, woof, uh, that's yeah. a world of pain. thing is, though, you've been waiting so long now that it, every, every month that goes by it looks like an even better deal. Yes. You were happy originally, <laughs> like, oh, that's a good price. And now, three, four, five months on, you go, Jesus, we got an absolute bargain. Mm-hmm. So the next one is on completion. What problems can you have on completion? I think the first one is if the owner didn't turn up to sell it to you. Um, that, I've never had that. I would say, yeah. Um, sometimes it's difficult because people do work. You know, not every seller here is just sitting around waiting for you to say, right, on the 22nd of whatever month, we're going to go to Notre and they say, well, I can't get that day off because I've actually got a job or I've got kids or I can't be there at 10 or 11 or 12. It has to be in the afternoon because of whatever reason. One of the big issues I've found recently is the prior inspection that we like to do a day or two days before signing. Sometimes it's not possible Sometimes we insist on going and it turns out that the owner has decided to take an AC unit or something off the wall that, in theory, fixed, shouldn't have gone. Mm-hmm. As long as we know, we can either renegotiate or hold some money back or, you know, I mean, they're minor details, but that kind of thing before the sale, you know, these little kind of human element comes into play. And that, that, that's been a big one recently where I've insisted on going and we went to see one before Christmas recently where they'd already sent videos and we were pretty sure that it was going to be fine, but just for peace of mind, just to say, mm-hmm. yeah, I went, it's great, it looks very clean and tidy, so congrats to the Extremely owner. Extremely clean and tidy yeah. in that particular case. <laughs> congrats to the owner because it's not always like that. They'll move the fridge and they'll leave you all the crap behind it and, uh, mm-hmm. oh, well, uh, you know, then they'll have to come and find me. Yeah. Another problem on completion is if the completion isn't done before the time period on your contract. So, for example, if you say it's three months and then you say to the owner, right, we're going after three months and one day, they've got no obligation to turn up. So you're best getting that contract extended beforehand. Yeah, I think agents that we deal with all the time, they're fairly flexible and they know. And that also the owner isn't going to walk away from the deal and the the completion for the sake of a few days. Mm -hmm. If it goes to a week or a few weeks or a month, then obviously you can get an extension and maybe even pony up a bit more money and pay a bit bit more deposit because it's kind of on the buyer to get their finances in order to then Mm -hmm. complete. And you say, right, you asked for 90 days and now you're saying push it back again. You're going to have to kind of put your hand in your pocket and find some more money. That's one of the things I was going to talk about here, the money not here and ready to pay out. People should always make sure that they've opened the bank account, that the money's here, and that there isn't a problem on the sending of the money. In other words, don't send it three days before. Send it (laughs) a long time before. The thing is, what we've had this month, well, in the month of December anyway, we're now in January, uh, people have wanted to complete vendors and also buyers before the end of the year for tax reasons. So we've kind of put things through a bit quicker than anticipated for certain buyers, certain, certain, some of our clients at least, and they've gone... Oh, crikey, I didn't realise it was going to happen so fast. Mm-hmm. I'll try and move the money over. Or they've sold property in another country and they're still waiting for the cheque to be cleared. Mm-hmm. But usually... Let, yeah, us know, let us know as soon yeah, as that's a problem. No, but the owners can be fairly reasonable about this kind of thing and, and usually there's never an issue. Mm-hmm. I think the next one is uh, 
if you haven't made an agreement with your bank prior to your actual signing as regards the cost of the checks or the transfer and we had that recently yeah yeah it's the banks will try it on and the bank is kind of runs the country here you will pay for bank accounts and you know you every single thing that you want to do is they expect their pound of flesh uh you can negotiate for the checks for purchase by taking on the home insurance or the cheapest insurance they've got going, i.e. dental, something like that. But yeah, they're there to answer your question. So if you go into the bank and you feel that you're not really getting the attention that you'd like, don't expect attention that you might find in other countries. Public you know, service, maybe sometimes they're all busy. There's less and less and less people in the banks as well. So sometimes they can't quite make enough hours in the day to, to deal with every single inquiry. But I'd certainly say, read some of the small print and say, right, what are they going to charge me for this, that and the other? And also we will recommend the banks that you should probably speak to and some of the banks that, no, don't bother going there because the last time we used them, they were absolutely awful. Yeah, I think recently we had one where the client was told to make the transfer from their app on the phone. Uh, and that isn't immediate. So the owner didn't immediately get the money and they thought they were going to get the money. Yeah, it's, it's kind of when it comes to, it's, it's crunch time and people get a bit nervous. It's like, oh, well, I've given them the keys, but there's no monies in the account. And you say, well, when you wake up tomorrow morning, it should have arrived. Or the transfer mm-hmm. was at late in the evening. This was so, on a Friday and yeah, it didn't arrive until yeah, Monday. Yeah. <laughs> people who try to send money over a weekend via the bank or currencies direct or both and say, well, the money is in the account, so I've lost the money that I've just sent. No, you wait till Monday morning and invariably it gets there mm-hmm. sooner or later. And if it isn't the right details, it will be bounced back and it goes straight back to your account mm-hmm. anyway. I think one of the things that people are find strange at the moment, if you like, is the bank not turning up for the completion. And, and in more and more cases, they don't. So, for example, if there's a, if there's a mortgage to cancel from the previous owner, the bank will say, yeah, just make a deposit into this account Hmm. uh, or give a check to this account and the notary will sort it. It does seem strange, though, when the bank don't turn up to take away their check. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's because it's just what we're used to. (laughs) I think so. I mean, we we always go along for the signings as well. Otherwise, you feel like you're just there by yourself. So you you need a bit of moral support, somebody to hold your hand at least, sometimes just to translate even the most basic things. But banks tend not to want to spend a morning running around Valencia doing these kind of things this mm-hmm. is the digital age and you know it's uh, well you would think it is <coughs> well you'd, 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 you'd hope it is and we'll yeah. get there eventually but the whole thing about transfers and you know the OMF the, the movement of funds transfers and stuff it's almost like a new thing for a lot of people and also for the sellers they're not familiar with this and they always like their piece of paper with their name on at sign in yeah, the check so, yeah. and then they'll give you the keys, like it used to happen in the old days. Yeah, you swap the check for the keys. Well, a lot of these owners are old as well, so that's yes, the only that's way true. they've ever dealt with anything is, what do you mean you've sent me the money? Where is it? If they can't see it, then... It's not, it's not paid in my account, and yeah, they constantly press and refresh on their app on the phone. Yeah, I think, yeah. you know, this is obviously the agents that we work with more are able to explain to the vendors and their 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 client this is how it works but don't worry we've done this hundreds of times before you know but that's that's why you you get people on your side the the funny thing is though if they've got the check in the hand they still haven't got the money no because it doesn't clear until they put it into the bank and then it clears the next day or sometimes the day after yeah and they've also got to go to the bank if it's still open yeah. <laughs> and deposit the check and then yeah. then yeah 
So whatever. Anyway, the last thing we're going to talk about is the problems post-purchase or the potential problems post-purchase. One of the things that we tend to avoid as well. Um, notary and tax costs not being paid. So what happens when you buy a property, let's use the example of 200,000, you've got 20,000 tax on that at 10% in Valencia. You've also got your notary costs and your registry and store, mm. and it all gets sent to the notary. Mm. But one of the things that uh, people don't realize at times is when they're buying at 200,000, don't just send 200,000 because that money has got to be paid within 30 days after the purchase. Yeah, there's never a breakdown of all costs to the actual cent or the closest euro because each operation is different. And we get a lot of clients from the United States, for example, who expect the role of the agent slightly different over there as well. What are the costs? What are the costs? You know, the the costs that we always mention are between fifteen and sixteen percent, with lawyer, agent, notary, registry, gestor, plus the ITP, which is the ten percent tax, the stamp duty on properties. So yeah, it's always and also you're going to have to need some money in your account to pay for electric, gas, and water bills as and when they arrive. We do the changeovers almost on the day of purchase or as close to as possible. So yeah, you do need some kind of walkabout money or some leeway there where you've got some funds in the account. You need a float. You need some money in your account yeah, for afterwards. But you'd have that in your own country, so it, it doesn't make sense, right? Well, the property's this much. You can't calculate to even within 500 euros or 1,000 euros sometimes. You know, so it's always good to have a bit more than, than mm-hmm. a check bounces or a electric bill comes back because it hasn't been paid. And you get cut off and it takes ages to get yeah, it back Yeah, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, and talking of that, the change of the utility doesn't get done for whatever reason. Well, we've had, every now and again, when the vendor's agent offers to do it, we've experienced that, oh, they've only changed over the bank detail and nobody's received a bill yet. And this is ongoing. I'm still doing one from the end of last year, which is looks like it's been solved but when we kind of go oh great thanks for that you're going to do it and then it turns out they don't so we always kind of in the end have to do it ourselves and we know for sure then that it's going to be done mm-hmm. yeah I mean, we did one with uh, an agent who we've worked with for a lot last week and he said he's going to do it because it's in Nakara and um, let's just say the utility companies in Nakara are particularly special, so he's used to working with them. Yeah, I mean, if you're in one of these towns where, you know, like, like you say, Nakara, Liliana, the, the, the main towns for most of our clients, then it is better that the local agent usually has an in or knows somebody who can do it. In the city, it's better if we do it ourselves, and we, we tend to, from experience, we're just like, yeah, don't worry, we'll have to sort it out. Next thing is that feeling that you've bought a lemon. So, for example, you, you go around and you see the property on the visit and it's all set up and nicely presented. I mean, this doesn't happen very often, but sometimes it does. Mm. And then, of course, you buy it and after the purchase, you go around and suddenly there's no furniture there and nothing seems to work because you don't know how it works yet and things like that. And so you think, oh, God, what have I done here? Well, you can't overthink. And if you've been bold enough to put a deposit down and then go to completion, the fact that a radiator leaks or the fridge isn't there I mean anything that isn't fixed or nailed down doesn't tend to stay there's lots of people here who have got a friend who needs a fridge or a washing machine and will pass it on unless stipulated in a contract so yeah whatever happens in other countries is is what happens in other countries here if it's been asked to be emptied it is emptied and sometimes that means the lamps and sometimes even light bulbs and stuff as well depending on 
the property or the owner, and there's lots of different yeah. reasons. I think two years ago we sold a place for five hundred and fifty thousand, and they left two light bulbs in the place. Yeah, it's a bit disappointing when you find that, and this is why we tend to do more inspections than we used to in the old days. But if you've liked a property enough to buy it, whether there's a fridge or not, shouldn't be really be an issue. Because you're probably going to buy a new one anyway. Yeah, because if they've left be the fridge, fridge, yeah, if they've left the fridge, it's because it, it could conk out at any minute, and it's probably filthy, dirty, hasn't had a hasn't had a, a clean out for mm. for years. So I think it's always better to to get as empty as possible. The cooktop is old, probably doesn't work very well. The oven is greasy and dirty. So for the sake of two or three hundred euros for a new appliance, it's not worth having somebody else's old rubbish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it's fairly easy, I mean, you can change an oven yourself with two screws. It's very easy to pull it out and stick a new one in in the same place. They're always mm-hmm. standard fittings. Mm. The, going on that, though, it's a, if you're going to do a reform after, you want to get into the place as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So having things that don't work isn't great. So obviously we'd always suggest that you get new things. But if you're not clear about what you want to do post-purchase to modernise the place... That's going to hold up you moving in. Yeah, I mean, we've had this as well. Week in, week out. Oh, tell them to leave the furniture. I don't mind. And then it turns out that by the time you've had a good second look at it, or even after purchase, actually, I don't want any of this old crap. Can you please get rid of it? And obviously we do find people. We do kind of take that on board and we will do that. But it's better to probably not think that that old sofa in the corner, which looks all right, is actually going to be any good and yeah, something that you want to keep. It. Yeah, no, it's just, and it's, it's just tend to be old, dusty stuff out of date and you think, oh, maybe I can keep some of this furniture because I've got superb eclectic taste and I'm going to kind of uh, upcycle that sideboard and then after about 10 minutes you say, oh, I can't really be bothered with any of that nonsense, I'm just going to get down on IKEA. Certainly for investment properties. Mm-hmm. Nobody who's renting really wants the old sofa or the dusty nasty mattress or mm-hmm. you know half the stuff in these apartments should be incinerated yeah the other thing though is that if you are left with furniture and you're going to do a modernization it's going to get covered in dust and dirt and yeah. detritus of all so- sorts of things yeah and then you'll say well i don't want it anyway yeah 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 it gets it gets pushed around and broken in in transport because you can't just leave it in the middle of a room if they're if they're sticking a new kitchen in in wherever it sounds like, oh, it's, it's a good idea to keep this, that, and the other, and in the end, you just realise you're making more work for yourself because you're not, probably not going to keep most of it. Yeah, I think the exceptions are when something's been done up for sale and everything's new, and you just go, yeah, I'll do with that. Even if you might not be your favourite fridge, you might have preferred a different one, mm. it's new, yeah, I'll go with that until I, until I want. You know? I think you know the whole thing about people saying, we bought a lemon... I don't think it's, if your glass is half empty and you see the downside to absolutely everything, if you bought an apartment and it's like next to nothing or it's a cheap apartment as an investment, probably if the wiring's not great, that's why it's the price it was. Mm-hmm. If it was brilliant and ready to go, you'd probably pay for another 50000 for it. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you you have to kind of cut your cloth to your requirements and your budget. And if you buy something cheap, you're not going to find something that's absolutely amazing unless it's miles from anywhere. Yeah, and you yeah. get an absolute bargain and go, oh, why is this too good to be true? It's like, yeah, because nobody wants to be there, basically. Or it's an interior apartment, or the building's not very good. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. If you get something, and we've had it, I don't know, not so much last year, but the year, previous years, 
people buying stuff very rarely nowadays, but 70, 80, 90, 100,000. I think most clients have realized that, well, it's cheap and I'm going to have to really throw my sleeves up and do some stuff and do some work. Yeah, I mean, when you're buying that sort of thing, you want you want to make it look good if you're going to rent it out anyway. Mm. So there's no point in leaving all the old furniture, leaving the old tiles, leaving the old kitchen and that, because pe- it's going to be more difficult to rent out and more problems are going to come up. Renew it, you won't have a problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's good to buy empty as well because you actually see what's there. Mm-hmm. Like I'm have all end of stuff going on behind cupboards and sofas and pushed up to the walls. And when they, when it gets removed, that's when you do start to see the 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 man behind the curtain. Yeah, or, or the smoke. Oh yeah, so that wall used to be white. Okay. Radio, they're the problems that can come up for you. I think we've covered just about everything, right? But that's what we're here for, to help you not have as many problems. The second in our Valencia Stories series today talks about the Spanish property market and what happened before, during and after the financial crisis of 2008. Now for anyone who was around at the time, the financial crisis was huge. Looking back now, many people think it was just a little trouble between banks in the same way that people look back on Y2K and think it was a lot of fuss over nothing. It wasn't. They were both huge. The big difference is that Y2K was avoided in most part by recognising what was going to happen before and future-proofing computers beforehand so that planes didn't drop out of the sky, etc. The financial crisis was different. The plane did actually drop out of the sky, but the pilots built a rudimentary plane on the way down to avoid crashing into the earth at terminal velocity. What they did was to avoid the worst damage but spread that pain out over the next decade. Does anybody remember austerity? Still happening. But what if I told you that the Spanish financial crisis wasn't in 2008? To paraphrase Monty Python, that was a mere scratch on an already delimbed body. 2007 was when things really started to hurt, and to know why, you need to know the history of the Spanish property market. Now, the Spanish property market only started in 2000, or at least that's where we are going to start. And why is that? Well, that's the day I set up Valencia Property. I just bought a property and the experience was so horribly painful that when a friend suggested I could act for him as an estate agent, I agreed and did. In the eight years that followed, price rises consistently were around and above 15% and in some years above 20%. Now, just to make you know this, it wasn't my fault. Correlation is not causality, of course. We saw the price of property more than double and in some cases triple in eight years. This was because of demand. There were lots of factors, bank of mum and dad giving wings to their 30-year-old kids making more households, more people coming to live in Spain or buying holiday property due to the rise of low-cost airlines such as EasyJet and Ryanair, allied to the cheap cost of living here, meaning that some coastal towns especially became playthings for Northern Europeans. This actually condemned them to becoming dead in the winter but overrun in the summer. The last factor was over-generous, I'll translate that, corrupt, and over-leveraged banks, as they make their money by lending, so they lent, and boy, did they lend. Mallorca was essentially half German, Javier, largely British, Altea was Dutch, Benidorm was essentially pissed up people, but it was this over-lending from banks that was key. 
People were happy to pick up mortgages at 2.5% initially, and when the bank gave you 120% of the cost of the property to pay all of your costs and also a bit more for a holiday, a car, or a modernization, or whatever, then people thought, why not? Paying down a mortgage bit by bit was considered a much better option than renting and paying down somebody else's mortgage. After all, what could go wrong? Well, it turned out that quite a lot could go wrong. Now, when we look at a chart of European interest rates, and we've included one in the show notes so you can see it, we can see that Euribor rates from which mortgages were set were high in year 2000, reaching over 5.3% in November of that year. However, property prices were low at that point, so even though your bank might have given you a mortgage at 6% or more, the rate in Spain at the time was variable, meaning it changed each year according to the Euribor rate. One year later, on renewal, Euribor was down to 3.4% in 2001, and your mortgage therefore went down from 6% plus to just over 4%. By 2003, Euribor was down to 2%, and therefore your mortgage became 3%. It was at these rates that people started extending their mortgages and getting the money to extend the property, modernise, buy a second property, or just to have some cash to pay off credit cards, for example. Banks were happy to let you use your house as an extremely large piggy bank. Equally, the Spanish property market was hotting up. Prices had risen by about 50% in four years and people were being offered 120% loans from the banks who expected prices to keep rising. And they did. There were three more years of 20% plus rises, almost doubling prices again due to these really low interest rates and exceptional demand. So, if you bought between 2000 and 2005 and didn't extend your mortgage, your property was worth more than double what you paid for it, and your mortgage was less than 40% of that value with reducing interest rates. Nice. However, if you bought from 2005 onwards, you might have been looking at a shock further down the line. Between November 2005 and November 2007, interest rates started rising and Euribor went back to about 5%, meaning new mortgages were being offered at around 6%. As cheap credit had been around for some time and prices had been rising for a long time, this put a huge break on the market, as purchases now became unaffordable for anyone wanting to buy with a mortgage. Why? Well, because wages and salaries hadn't kept pace. The banks gave you a mortgage based on affordability for you, and suddenly a previously manageable mortgage repayment was much higher percentage-wise at higher prices. Except one thing, the banks had the bright idea of introducing 35 and 40-year mortgages in order to bring the monthly payments down and therefore make properties more affordable. The market essentially stopped in late 2007, not 2008. Completions in 2008 were much higher in new builds than used property. And that was because people were locked into purchasing properties they had left deposits on in 2004 and 2005, which were now being completed. And they couldn't get out of those contracts, having invested so much already. More importantly, they put their deposit down with interest rates low, expecting low payments when completing, and mortgage rates had doubled, meaning payments were considerably more than they were expecting. Lots of people managed to walk away from their money in 2008, as they couldn't complete. The banks wouldn't offer them a mortgage on the completed product, and this meant the builders didn't get paid, and the repayments on their loans for construction were rising. Others were locked in because they had signed a contrato de compraventa, as opposed to an arras contract, and they were stuck with a place they couldn't afford. Tick-tock, tick-tock. 
Then the financial crisis came at the end of 2008 and boom. No credit, high interest rates, no money. And we'll talk more about what happened and how it affected the market and actually still continues to affect the market in the next episodes of the pod. Next month, we'll talk about the period between when the financial crisis hit in 2008 and 2013-14. We hope you enjoyed that and it helps you to understand the background to the financial crisis in Spain. More in the next episode, of course. Now it's time to talk about the market as we move into 2024. We wrote our blog post about this in December and you can see the link in the show notes. To cut a long story short, we sold as many properties in 2023 as we did in 2022, but to a greater value because prices have risen. They continue to rise and demand is still increasing in the international market, whereas demand is stable in the Spanish market at the moment. With the incoming probable reductions in the mortgage rates, demand may remain very high this year. Supply, on the other hand, continues to fall as fewer and fewer properties are coming onto the market. Demand from other countries is high still, with the US, the UK and other countries still buoyant. I expect this to continue in 2024, as the reasons for this demand show no signs of fading. One thing that may slow demand is if other markets fall off a cliff and people fail to sell their properties in order to buy here. However, the main markets that we deal with are mostly still moving. So what do we expect from 2024? Well, we expect a slight slowdown if supply doesn't increase, and we can't see anything at the moment that will increase supply massively. Price-wise, therefore, we expect prices to continue to rise slightly, maybe not as much as in the last few years, but still to rise. We expect more government intervention as they try to make a rental market that works for more people, and we expect that this will fail, as it's too difficult to make a balanced situation that satisfied both landlords and tenants. We expect to be busy, and we expect to continue innovating through our new companies and ideas throughout the year. I can foresee more interest in the suburbs of Valencia as people fail to find what they want in the city because of lack of supply, and we expect even more demand from investors looking to buy whole buildings because we keep getting more and more requests about this. As usual, we'll finish off with our recommendations for the start of the year. You should be reading our essentials page, everything you need to know when starting your Valencia property search, and the link of course is in the show notes. Regarding videos, we have an excellent video channel we saw the other day from the biopark as a couple of baby pumbas have been born, and if you don't know what a pumba is, go back to Lion King and you will. And our recommended property? Well, just go to our homepage and choose your favourite. We're constantly updating with new properties and we don't know what your requirements are, so I'm going to suggest everything. The recommendation is everything. That's it for this month. We hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back in a month with more from the Valencia Property Podcast. If you enjoyed this, send a link to your friends and family and get them to follow us and subscribe. We like it when people listen to the podcast and get in touch with us and say, yeah, we heard a podcast, it was really good. 